You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Last week I tried to make the case that every Christian should be an active and committed part of a local church. The Bible expects that Christians would gather together for worship and encouragement and even correction and discipline. There are huge numbers of people, though, who call themselves Christians who have abandoned church or who have substituted coffee shop Bible studies for church. Um, But that doesn't change the fact that the local church is where a Christian should be on a Sunday morning. But not just any church. It needs to be a healthy church. Not all places that call themselves churches are healthy. And not all places that call themselves churches are genuinely Christian churches. We need to be a bit discerning about that. Just because it meets in a church building or a community hall or a school classroom, it doesn't mean it's a safe place spiritually for us to go to. And just because it has church in its name doesn't mean it's safe either. Redeemer Church and Church of the Nativity and Church of the Way and Grace Church and a million other titles are are used for the signs that hang outside church buildings. And not all of them are genuine biblical churches. The Church of the Latter-day Saints is a classic example. It's actually a cult that uh, claims to be a church, but biblically and theologically, it is not. It's not a Christian church, and therefore it is deadly to your spiritual health. It's important that we're discerning about these things. There are plenty of choices we make every day, some that are hugely important and life-changing that affect our health. If you take up smoking, for example, your physical health will be affected, and it may end up killing you. If you participate in extreme sports, there's a chance that you'll have an accident and end up a quadriplegic or even die if everything goes wrong. If you go to Taliban-controlled Afghanistan to preach the gospel, you'll probably be arrested and executed. But these things only hurt the body. The danger to your soul if you get involved in an unhealthy church or a cult is far greater, Jesus said, Don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. A church has the potential to build you up strong or to tear you down and lead you into destruction. And I'm sure you've realised by now that the enemy Satan uses his best weapon, deception, to destroy God's people. He uses just enough of the truth to make it look good, but he mixes in enough lies that it will destroy you. We'd do well to read and to ponder 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As Paul says there, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. But what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms that we do. 
For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is a very real danger. Just because it looks good or sounds good or feels good doesn't mean that it is good. It's a danger that has eternal consequences if you get it wrong. So today I want to talk about some of the things to look for when deciding if a church is both safe spiritually to join and a place that you can get involved in. So this will be fairly practical today, I think. Before I get into that, though, I want to remind you why a church exists and what its purpose is. For if we miss this, there's a fair chance that we'll miss out on receiving the greatest benefits of church life. Ephesians 4, chapter, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 4 tells us, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He goes on to say in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You are an important part, an integral and a necessary part of any church you join. The church needs you to fulfil its ministry in the world. And you need it to grow to maturity. It's a symbiotic relationship where the two feed off each other and support each other. So when you're looking for a new church, size doesn't matter. They could be 10 people or they could be 10,000 people. That has no bearing on whether they are safe, they are safe or a healthy or the right church to join. There are plenty of healthy churches that are in the thousands but there's plenty of bad ones too. And vice versa, there are plenty of healthy churches that are in the tens, but there are plenty of bad ones too. Size doesn't determine health. In fact, some of the largest churches in the USA are probably some of the most dangerous to the health of the Christian. You can be just as easily led astray in a small church though, and I'm concerned for you that you find somewhere healthy to go in the future. So there are a number of things to look for when choosing your new church home. Some of these things we've been better at than others here at City Edge. Some have been our strength, 
Some have been a weakness. We're no more perfect than any other church, despite what many of you probably think. But if we want to continue to grow strong and healthy as Christians and not be sidetracked or led astray, we need to do our research. Fortunately, most churches and groups today have a website, so that's a good place to start. So we need to decide if they're theologically sound. Doesn't matter how friendly they are. Doesn't matter how good their music is. Doesn't matter how good the preacher is if they don't preach the gospel. It doesn't matter if they have programs for kids and teenagers and young adults. If their theology is off, they are dangerous. So look firstly for their statement of faith. Look to see what they believe as a church. That's not always easy to find. Some don't put very much information at all on their websites. And uh, on our website, we have a fairly basic statement of faith, but we also have a link to a far more detailed statement that I think lays out pretty clearly what we as a church believe. A lot of churches are quite vague about what they believe. That may be because they don't place much priority on doctrine. So they don't think it's important to clarify what they stand for. If that's the reason why they're so vague, that's a warning sign. Now, I like to use the Nicene Creed as my basic rule of thumb when I'm checking beliefs. You'll remember that creed, I'm sure. It starts off with, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and the third day he rose again, Ascended into heaven, from thence he shall come to judge the quick, that is, the living and the dead. And we believe in the Holy Ghost, and so on, the Nicene Creed goes. While it's not a detailed statement of faith, the Nicene Creed covers the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian, of what you have to believe to be able to call yourself a Christian. Belief in the Trinity the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his death for our sins, his resurrection, ascension, his coming return as judge of all humanity and more. If something doesn't in their statement doesn't conform with the Nicene Creed, such as they deny the deity of Christ, then don't waste your time looking any further at that church. They are not a Christian church. But if they do agree, then if possible, Dig a little deeper. What do they believe about sin and salvation? How do they think you become a Christian? Who gets to heaven? These things are all clues as to whether they are a theologically sound church, therefore a safe church, or a theologically risky or even heretical church. There's some other things you need to consider too, some things that aren't salvation issues, but they'll have an impact on whether you can fully commit to that particular church. What's their leadership structure? I'm convinced the Bible shows churches to be, are to be led by male elders, also known as pastors. It's the same thing. In the Bible, at least, it's the same thing. Preferably leading in a team, although 
That's not always possible, depending on the size and the age of the church. Others would disagree with me, of course, and there are plenty of churches that are not heretical churches that have women pastors. That's something you need to determine for yourself. Do they practice the Lord's Supper? And how frequently do they do it? Scripture doesn't tell us how often you should be celebrating the Lord's Supper. It merely says as often as you do this. That could be weekly, monthly, annually. But if your conviction is that communion should be weekly, but they rarely do it at that particular church, then you're never going to be quite able to support that particular church. What about baptism? I'm a convinced credo-baptist, meaning I believe baptism is something that should only be performed on a person who has a credible profession of faith, which means that baptism is reserved for those who are old enough to understand their need of a saviour. And I believe it's preferably done by full immersion. A young age is not necessarily a barrier, although it's hard to decide often if a young child is genuinely a believer in Jesus Christ or they're just following on their parents' example. But because I'm a credo-baptist, I don't agree with pedo-baptism. That's the baptism of babies or very young children. So I could never fully commit myself to the practices of a Presbyterian church, for example. Now, the Presbyterians, must be said, have very carefully thought out reasons for their practice but I'm not personally convinced by them. I've looked into them uh, with a fair bit of depth and it doesn't convince me. But I agree with the Presbyterians on every essential doctrine of faith. So I consider them my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I disagree with that one practice of theirs. So I could never fully get behind a Presbyterian church. There are issues you need to decide for yourself. There's probably no point visiting churches where you have a difference of belief about these matters. But having said that, if the only two churches were in my, in my town were a Roman Catholic or a Presbyterian church, I'd have no hesitation attending the Presbyterian church. They're not my enemy. And as a denomination, they, tre- they preach a true gospel. Individual churches can, of course, in any denomination or movement differ, which is why you need to do your research. There are plenty of other matters to take into consideration too. Some of them are more important than others. What do they believe about spiritual gifts like tongues and prophecy and miracles? What do they believe about end times and the second coming of Christ? Moving away from their theology, what's their style of musical worship? Do they have a slick band with stage lighting and smoke machines and monster stacks of speakers? Or are they a couple of volunteers on acoustic guitars? Do they sing the latest Hillsong or Bethel music? Or do they only sing the Psalms? What matters to you? And why does it matter to you? More importantly, I believe, than their style of worship is the content of their worship. Is it focused on Jesus Christ? Does it lift him up? Does it speak truth about him? Or is the focus on me and what I want and what I feel? In other words, are the songs Christ-centred or me-centred? When do they meet? Does a Friday night work better for you than a Sunday morning? Where do they meet? Is it in a glorious old church building 
lovely place to visit and to look at, but freezing cold in winter? Or do they meet in a school hall where all the equipment has to be carried in by the team every week? Or do they meet in someone's lounge room? In an almost bizarre twist that was unimaginable only a couple of years ago, some churches have chosen not to meet at all and to do everything by live streaming now. That's been a necessary practice for most of us for the last couple of years, thanks to COVID lockdowns, but it's not a healthy long-term strategy. Churches need to gather together. They need to gather together both to fulfill their Christian obligations to each other and to grow their members into the image of Christ. I would hope that this is only a brief season for those churches until the government lifts restrictions entirely. But I fear that for some, that's become the new way of doing church. On a different but a related note, many larger churches in recent years have adopted a video campus model. That's one where the local churches still gather together, but the preaching in particular, and maybe the whole service, is streamed in from the home-based church that is in a different location, maybe in a different state or even in a different country. That's not particularly healthy, in my opinion. So that leads us to the issue of location. Now, I've always believed that Christians should worship together with others in their local community. We actually sold, when we were in South Australia, we sold our house and moved to another town to be closer to our church. In fact, that's the way City Edge Church started out 14 years ago. And for most of the life of City Edge Church, its members have come from within about a 10K radius. That's pretty healthy, I think. But as our life circumstances have changed, we've become gradually far-flung from each other, which means that some of our most committed members have been travelling up to 50Ks each way every Sunday to come to church. That, sadly, is not ideal. If you live in a rural area, of course, it may be necessary to drive a long distance to church. But it's not when you live in the suburbs. There are plenty of good churches nearby that we should be checking out. And we're all going to be free to do that very soon. Also, it's hard to invite your neighbours to church with you if you expect them to travel 50 kilometres to get there. Other things. Do they have a children's programme? Do they have a Sunday school or a kids' church during the preaching? Or are the children kept in with the parents for the whole service? Now, I personally believe keeping the kids in with the parents is the better option. But it's got to be said it's more distracting to other people and, uh, and more distracting to the parents too. But I personally believe the overall benefits are worth the cost. These are all things that you need to think about when you're selecting a new church. How do people in this new church relate to each other? Do they love each other, encourage each other, help each other, want to meet regularly with each other? Or are they clicking with their little tribes within the whole that can be hard to break into and don't engage much with the other tribes? These tribes can be relatively innocent. They can be just the youth naturally wanting to hang out with each other and not mingling much with other age groups. But it can also be more sinister. It can be different factions 
jostling behind the scenes for power or different age groups looking down their nose at other age groups. That, of course, is hard to tell on your first visit. But there can be some telltale signs. How are you greeted when you walk through the door for the first time? Who welcomes you there? Is it only the person who's assigned to door duty that particular Sunday who may be merely greeting you because he has to fulfil his duty? Or are you welcomed by other members as well who seem to be genuinely interested in you? I've had both experiences. I visited the church once with my two sons. I think uh, my girls were both working that particular Sunday morning, but I took my boys along to this church. It was a relatively new church plant, only less than a year old, I think. And the welcome person at the door said hello as we came through, and we went in and sat down. During the service, they announced an outreach they were preparing to do and talked about the importance of preparing for an influx of new people in the church. Then after announcing that, they had a short break where they told everyone to greet those people around them. And not a single person turned around to say hello to me or my boys. I left that church wondering what sort of welcome all the new converts would get. And I also wonder what may have happened if I was a suicidal father trying desperately one last time to connect with someone who cares. It's really not that difficult to welcome newcomers. Then our whole family visited another church a few years later where the welcome was the complete opposite of that. I don't recall whether there was a specific welcome team there that particular day, but I'll never forget the welcome we received because it shaped me to this day. The oldest couple in the church, a couple who at the time were approaching their 70s, made a beeline for our two teenage boys and spent quite a bit of time talking to them as equals. A lad in his early teens came up to Mel and I to welcome us and to offer to help us get settled in. Needless to say, we were impressed by the friendliness of this church. It's a church where there didn't seem to be age barriers or cliques. And we made it our home for the next several years until City Edge Church was planted. Of course, that wasn't a perfect church. No church is. Nor will any church ever be perfect this side of eternity. But the welcome we received there spoke volumes about one of the critical requirements of a local church, that we love one another, regardless of age, social standing, ethnicity, gender, political leanings, or any of the other usual dividers we see in society and sadly often in churches. And that church shaped City Edge as well. For that was the church that City Edge was planted out of. One of the things that I've always been most proud about of City Edge, and it's not to my credit, but it's been part of the DNA of City Edge from the very beginning, is the welcome we extend to anyone and everyone without distinction. That is, I believe, a little picture of heaven here on earth in the local church. So I say whether a church is like that is hard to judge from one visit. But if it ticks all the other boxes as well, it may be worth another visit or two. There's a bit more background work you can do to help find a good church. If they have a website, there's a pretty good chance they'll have some of their sermons posted there. Or they'll have a link to a podcast or YouTube to watch them. 
you can quickly get a sense of their philosophy of preaching. Do they deliver mostly topical sermons? That's ones that where each message is focused on a specific topic using a selection of scriptures from throughout the Bible to support it. Or in some cases, no scriptures at all and just the preacher's opinions. Topical preaching is not necessarily a bad idea, not necessarily a bad thing. And it's what I'm doing right now, in fact. But it's not the best way long term, in my opinion. Now, I plan to talk a bit more about preaching and the importance of it and the value of it, how it will help you next week. But if the church has sermons available on their website, download some of them, listen to them, and listen with discernment. I don't mean to listen judgmentally, critically, but listen to learn what they're saying and what they're not saying. Again, I'll talk a bit more about that next week. One of the great challenges we face from church shopping is the quite natural and quite human tendency to approach it with a consumer mentality. What's in it for me? How dynamic is this preacher? How good are the musos? They're exactly the wrong questions to ask when you're looking for a new church. Rather, we should ask, is the preaching sound? Is it biblical? Is it theologically accurate? Does it present the gospel clearly and boldly and regularly? Does the song selection exalt Jesus Christ? Do the people seem genuinely welcoming and serious about their Christian faith? And can I contribute to this church? If the answer to those questions is yes, or at least I think so, then it's probably worth a few more visits. Remember, we read at the start of this message, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Note that they're all word-focused ministries. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers, some put it. They all focus on the word of God. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind, carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Will the church you're checking out equip you and mature you so that you're not tempted to be caught up in the latest passing fad or to be led astray into error? That's far more important than whether you like the music or whether the preacher is charismatic. I'm convinced, and it's been my personal experience, that if you approach your church hunt with an attitude of willingness to commit and get involved, and with a discerning, not a judgmental, not a critical eye, but with a discerning eye, then the Lord knows exactly how to lead you to the right one. It may not be the slickest or the biggest or the best-known church. It may only be a little church of 15 faithful people or a new church plant still trying to find its feet. But it will be where the Lord 
will continue to shape you into the image of Christ. And it will be where he uses you. He'll use your unique gifts, your talents, your calling to help build up others in the body as well. Because that's why the local church exists, to bring us all to maturity and unity in the faith. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you have given your son for this local church and the universal church as well, Lord, for all the believers everywhere around the world. And, Lord, you have called us together together in local churches to support, to help, to encourage, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to bring correction, Lord, and to bring support. Lord, we thank you that you'll be faithful to lead us to those churches that can help us to grow in those ways, to shape us into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here today and for any who may hear this later on on YouTube or wherever it may be, Lord, that you will give us all a heart to belong to the local church but to support and encourage and work in with that local church as well. Lord, would you use us and our talents and our skills and our desires to help build your kingdom, help build your local churches. And, Lord, we open our hearts to receive from the church and from those members in that church the direction and correction that you may have for us. Lord, we pray that churches everywhere in Australia and around the world will be strong and healthy with a focus on your son, Jesus Christ, that their musos, will exalt his name as they lift him up, no matter how good or how amateurish they are in their playing role. Their focus will be on Jesus Christ so that people walk out and they say, not so much that was a good service, but that he is a great saviour. Because, Lord, you have poured out your life for the church and you have purchased a bride for yourself. Lord, let us never devalue that. Let us never speak against that. Lord, let us always appreciate the value of what you have done. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.